You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off this week. The future of Tumbler Ridge is riding on the wind and which way it blows. The front line of the huge West Kiskatinaw River fire remains just a few kilometers from town while crews race to place equipment to protect homes and businesses from the flames. Ramina Dea is live in Dawson Creek where some of the evacuees have relocated. And Ramina, you just received some new video of the other fire that's also threatening Tumbler Ridge. Well, there's another fire that's in the area. It's close by, but it's it's not threatening Tumbler Ridge directly. Now, a controlled burn we're hearing did go ahead today on the Peavine Creek fire. And we're hearing from the fire boss that it was a success. The point to remove volatile forest fuel so that the fire doesn't advance if the winds shift. Now, the same was planned, Chris, for Tumbler Ridge, but the wind was erratic today, so crews instead focused their attack on the ground. Deep in the bush, a fierce firefight continues on the front lines. Firefighters doing everything in their power to stop the flames from obliterating Tumbler Ridge. The fire still holding just four kilometers away from town. Garrett Galhoff, one of over 2,000 evacuees forced to leave their homes Thursday when the fire blew up. Good boy, Jake. Everything will be okay, no matter what happens. I, I think it'll be fine, like no fire now. I've seen people move from Tumblr, so many of them, and they're back within a few years. Evacuees say on Sunday night, local officials told them they would likely not be going home before Friday as a precaution. The mayor says no return date has been discussed. It's a lot of bureaucracy, it seems. You know, we're not really sure what's going on. We're just praying that the rain is coming without lightning, and we're praying that uh, the wind stays back or dies down. It's very stressful. Uh, I have my husband, two kids, and two cats with me in the hotel room, so it's been a very uncomfortable transition, and just the not knowing is very frightening as well. The conditions hot and dry, the winds erratic again Monday, but they're blowing away from the community, buying crews time to bomb the forest with water, lay fire breaks, and remove volatile fuels like mature trees. As long as the guys are doing everything they can, which we know they are, it's gonna be what it's gonna be, so, you know, just save our homes. Worried evacuees, forever grateful to the firefighters and volunteers. I see the strength of other people, so I'm I'm in it, and I'm just like I say, grateful that the town is still is still standing. They are trying their hardest to focus on the positive until they can go home. How many days old? Just yesterday morning at about maybe five in the morning. Wow. Yeah. So life goes on. It certainly does. Well, Chris, it looks like some of the community's prayers have been answered. Rain is in the forecast for tomorrow. The temperatures are going to be cut in half, but whether it's going to be enough to make a significant dent, we're going to have to wait and see. Back to you. We're going to get more details right now, too. Thanks very much. Ramina Dea reporting from 
uh, Dawson Creek. Let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now with more on the forecast for Tumbler Ridge really over the next 24 uh, to 48 hours, Christy. Thanks, Chris. Well, just this afternoon, Environment Canada has issued a special weather statement, and it includes the southern part of BC Peace River area and Tumbler Ridge. So here's a look. So yes, the rain is expected to push in through the morning hours. It will be light, but we're expecting more consistent rain through the latter part of the day. We're talking about anywhere from 15 to 25 millimeters of rain, but where it actually falls exactly over the fire, that's the tough part to know, but at least there's a substantial rain uh, potential for that region. We've seen a more strong westerly flow across the region is very gusty there tonight or this afternoon. It is going to ease off overnight but then become a little bit more erratic tomorrow afternoon and towards the evening hours and it is going to be a switch to the uh, northerly flow tomorrow late in the day. So whether that pushes it towards the uh, town I'm not sure but certainly more gusty winds in the forecast later tomorrow. Back to you. All right we'll get uh, another check in with you a little later on. Thanks very much Christy. The BC Wildfire Service says a small wildfire that sparked in West Kelowna Sunday afternoon was human-caused. The fire first spotted by residents around 1 o'clock in the afternoon near Bear Creek Provincial Park yesterday with smoke visible from the hills above the park. A BC Wildfire helicopter was already near the area when the fire started and was sent to begin bucketing the blaze. A ground crew was also dispatched, and today, although they say the fire isn't spreading, members were at it again, putting out hot spots. And Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on the wildfire situation, and really, Keith, how much this is all going to cost us. It's way above average for this time of year already, and you have some numbers that reflect that. Yeah, it's also going to show why we're going to be covering this story so much in the uh, coming months. It's going to be the dominant story in the summer. We're headed for a record number of wildfires, probably the most in B.C. history. Here's where we're at so far, just not even at the midway point of June. 655,000 hectares have already been consumed. That's more than the 10-year average of a full season of 407,000, 427 fires. But the key stat is hectares burned down. And we're on pace to beat the 2018 record of 1.35 million hectares. What does that cost? Well, in 2018 and 2017, when we had that type of numbers in terms of fires and hectares consumed, the cost exceeded $600 million. We are on track now probably to hit that cost estimate as well as we go through the summer. Unless the weather turns significantly in terms of more precipitation and the temperatures come down, we are on track for a record wildfire season, which, why, which is why we're going to be updating all of you with these statistics on a timely basis, likely a couple times a week because the fires are mounting in number. They are. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. It's been six days now since the Cameron Bluffs wildfire forced the closure of Highway 4 on Vancouver Island. And while traffic to and from Port Alberni, Tofino and Euclid is getting through using a lengthy logging road detour, the impact of the highway closure is really starting to sting for coastal communities dependent on summer tourism. Kylie Stanton reports. It's just getting started, but so far the only thing peaking this season is anxiety. Rather than trips building, trips are cancelling right now, so it's been quite hard on us. The streets of Tofino eerily quiet for mid-June, as the usually busy tourist hotspot enters its sixth day, virtually cut off from the rest of Vancouver Island. All of the different businesses, all of our retail sector, have seen significant 50% to um, almost 100% lost revenue and business um, these last uh, few days. 
At 254 hectares, the Cameron Bluffs wildfire is still classified as out of control. And while it's now moving up the mountain, Highway 4 remains closed. The road now compromised with falling trees and debris. And there's no timeline as to when it will reopen. It's tough. You know, our primary concern, of course, is, is the fire and the first responders and, the, and the, their safety. And, of course, uh, we're extremely thankful that there's an alternative route. The detour route, a narrow, winding gravel road that adds another four hours to the trip, continues to operate, with commercial vehicles carrying essential goods, making scheduled trips to keep the supply chain intact. Good news for those on the other side of this barrier, but the end of the road for everyone else. Yeah, we're thinking to go to Kidal Grove. It's a nice place to visit. So, yeah, we are disappointed. Yeah. We cannot go there today. <laughs> Businesses here on this side also suffering. Bigfoot Burgers in Whiskey Creek has temporarily closed up shop. Others are hanging in there. I'd like to see them focus on getting the highway open ASAP. I don't think there should be any delay or, um, you know, reason to do anything otherwise. I think that is the most important issue. BC's Transportation Minister was not available for comment. An update on the condition of Highway 4 is expected on Tuesday. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Some happy news today after that huge fire in Maple Ridge early Saturday displaced hundreds of people. Krista Dow reports on a pet reunion that brought some joy despite a lot of uncertainty about the residents' future. Here you go. Oh my God. It's been more than 48 hours of anxiety and uncertainty, but finally the answers Carolyn Zur had been waiting for. Her pets Cookie and Oreo found alive. Here's Oreo. I feel like crying. This, this, was the, this was the best thing that could happen. You know, animal life, that's much more important than stuff. Zur, among the estimated 200 residents, burned out of their homes. Oh, it's coming down. Look at that. There it goes. coming down. The fire started at a construction site Friday night and quickly exploded in size. The fire raging for hours with neighbors reporting ash and embers as far as a kilometer away. It was, it was dynamite, you know, the trees were all glowing and it was, I think it was a policeman or a fireman that said get out now, so we just left. Oh my God. The fire damage here is significant. The fire chief estimating the damage to be in the tens of millions of dollars. Right now, though, there's no word yet on whether the condo building will have to come down. The apartment block and the residences aren't uh, habitable anymore. If it's not fire damage, there's, there's water damage throughout. Um, the viability of saving the building is really going to come down to an evaluation by insurance adjusters. Thankfully, no one was injured, but Maple Ridge Mayor Dan Rumi urging everyone to register with the city's emergency support services. You know, some folks did have insurance. Uh, a lot of folks I spoke to uh, did not have in, uh, rental insurance. So they're the ones who are probably the most vulnerable. About 70 families were put into hotel rooms while others were staying with family. But all will have to figure out their future plans. Yeah, we'll have to find a place to live. People's cars are down there. People have left with nothing. One lady didn't have her teeth. Those who want to help is asked to donate to the Canadian Red Cross, which is coordinating with the city. Exactly how and where the fire started remains under investigation. Krista Dow, Global News.
now. A controversial development in Vancouver's historic Chinatown is once again being considered by City Hall. Nearly 100 people have signed up to speak today on the proposal for 105 Kiefer. But as Kristen Robinson reports, it's unlikely the project, first pitched nine years ago, will be decided before the mics are turned off later tonight. It's an oasis in the heart of Chinatown. And Dr. Sun Yat-sen Classical Chinese Garden says it won't be in the shadow of 105 Kiefer. Timing couldn't be better for this project in development right now. Lorraine Lowe says things are finally starting to look up after years of decline. The city, province and feds now funding Chinatown's revitalization. She believes Beattie Living's proposed nine-story, 111-unit building with ground-level retail and a senior centre will improve public safety and help uplift the area. If we don't do anything and we leave this and wait another four years, I don't think there's going to be a Chinatown left. Sun Yat-sen is one of seven Chinatown legacy organizations once divided over 105 Kiefer, but now united in support. The project was rejected by Vancouver's Development Permit Board for a fifth time in 2017. Last December, a B.C. Supreme Court decision ordered the city to reconsider it. Justice Bronger's ruling, the board's decision is substantively unreasonable because the reasons provided by the board are inadequate. Thank you. Before the hearing resumed, activists bust in dozens of low-income Chinatown and downtown Eastside seniors they say have united to oppose gentrification. This community is opposed to 105 Kiefer primarily because we believe that the uh, development of condos in Chinatown, luxury condos, are an inappropriate use of the land. Would you rather see an empty lot? I would not like to see an empty lot. In fact, I would like to see the, the BC government purchase the land and develop 100% social housing. Proponents agree we need more social housing just not at this privately owned site. I don't think, you know, just being an activist is going to do the trick here. I think we really need to be pragmatic and think of solutions. We now have the support from all three levels of government in creating and building a positive environment and neighborhood. As of 9.30 a.m., the city says 96 people were signed up to speak. With five minutes each, the board may hear from up to 72 of them before the hearing ends at 10 p.m. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Border businesses wondering why Canadians seem to be in no rush to return to the U.S. And the major U.S. retailer about to abandon Vancouver forever. The final hours of Nordstrom, next on the News Hour. Good pace. Are you serious? and free. Nick Taylor's historic Canadian Open win and how his BC fans are reacting to the dramatic way it ended a little later. Right now, though, while the removal of COVID-19 restrictions led to an immediate boost in cross-border travel, it hasn't been what many border town businesses say they were hoping for. Janet Brown is live with the factors that might be driving the slow return of shoppers. Janet. 
Good evening, Chris. What were we all doing during the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, of course, we were all shopping online because we had to. And then we realized the convenience of shopping online. So the question now is, are people still shopping online or are they getting out and about again? Are they crossing the U.S. border to shop in places like Seattle and Bellingham once again? The U.S. Department of Transportation has issued these numbers. In 2019, we had a high of 4 million passenger vehicles crossing over at Blaine. That number dropped in half by 2022. And for the first quarter of this year, the vehicles passing through the border at Blaine down to 622,000. Meantime, the Bellingham Chamber of Commerce is keeping a very close eye on these numbers. Depending upon the weekend, right, because if it's a Canadian long weekend, we will see more Canadian shoppers. Um, it can be, depending upon the weekend, depending upon the store, somewhere between 30 and 50% at most. People's travel patterns and shopping habits changed over the two plus years that they weren't able to just sort of freely move back and forth down to Washington. And so my sense is that it's just sort of people returning to those behaviors or maybe not. Now, we've reached out to MacArthur Glen outlets near the Vancouver airport. They tell us that shopping has really surged, in fact, surpassing pre-pandemic levels. Now, the reason for people not coming across the border as previously, there could be many reasons. In addition to online shopping, it could be the value of the dollar, the exchange rate, and, of course, the price of goods and services in the U.S. have also gone up, as they have in Canada. Back to you, Chris. Not always the bargains that we used to enjoy down there nowadays. Thanks very much, Janet. That's Janet Brown reporting at the border for us. Just one more day before the Nordstrom experience in downtown Vancouver comes to an ungratifying end. Travis Prasad reports on the final hours of the high-end retailer and what might be next for the huge empty space it will leave behind. The signs say it all. Tuesday is the final day to shop at Nordstrom Pacific Center. We weren't allowed inside, but on the eve of its closure, a peek through the window shows empty shelves and racks. The first floor is, is pretty much cleared out, and then all the furniture is up on the second floor. Third floor you can't even get to anymore. Still, bargain hunters are finding deals. Regular price for Cody shoes, 1100 and I got it 200 something, 240 I paid $30 for two higher-end foundations that are usually a bit pricey when you buy at regular retail price. So especially with the summer coming and me changing color, it's good to grab a deal. The markdowns are massive, much more than the modest discounts offered in March when the court-approved liquidation began. 5% off everything, pretty much. Five, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wasted my time a little. Welcome to Nordstrom. The Seattle-based high-end retailer opened its more than 200,000-square-foot Vancouver store in 2015. Eight years later, all 13 Canadian locations are shutting down. 2,500 employees are affected. Nordstrom blames slumping sales, but retail analysts say there's more going on behind the scenes. This is a, a really about an activist shareholder in the States uh, threatening the Nordstrom family in control of the business. And uh, Canada, in my mind, is kind of collateral damage. The building previously home to Eaton's and Sears. Once the doors close and this sign comes down, there's opportunity for another brand to set up shop 
in a prime downtown location. I don't know if any retailer could really fill it, so I don't know, it'd be kind of nice to see it turned into affordable housing or something like that. I can definitely envision it being a fun, kind of casual dining destination. Uh, also would be a great location, honestly, for a tech hub. Um, Vancouver has a thriving tech sector. Uh, they desperately need large tech campuses, and that would be phenomenal too. Travis Prasad, Global News. Coming up, two shocking cougar encounters in recent days. Mountain biking is always interesting because you're moving quickly through an area. What to do if you encounter a big cat like this? Plus... I've never had someone just message me and threaten me like that. A BC business owner turns to Consumer Matters for help when her Instagram business account was hacked and held for ransom. The growing concern and what tech experts say about protecting yourself coming up. Traffic is moving pretty well off the North Shore finally at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. Still some leftover delays eastbound on Highway 1 through the Burnaby Lake stretch, though. How can you be wildfire ready this summer? Take steps to protect your home and make a safety plan. Learn more at wildfireready.gov.bc.ca. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. A woman is very fortunate to have escaped with minor injuries after she was stalked and attacked by a cougar. The victim was mountain biking over the weekend on the Sunshine Coast. The Conservation Officer Service says the animal displayed predatory behavior. Catherine Urquhart has the story. Warning signs are now posted at a service road in Roberts Creek on the Sunshine Coast. This after a woman riding her mountain bike on some trails was attacked by a Sunday afternoon. Initially, she heard some noises behind her, then a galloping sound. She had a quick look behind her and saw a uh, cougar was uh, was following her. I believe that the cat had actually made an attempt to swat at her leg, maybe trying to trip her up. But uh, luckily for her, she managed to stay on her bike. Still, the cougar continued pursuing her and she decided to fight back using her bike as a barrier. Kind of lunging towards her and swatting at her at that time. Um, and she hit the cougar over the head a few times with a stick. So she really did everything correct. Soon after, the cat fled. Also on Sunday, in West Vancouver's Caulfield neighborhood, a door camera captured images of this large cougar. It can be seen walking along a path outside the front door. Wild Safe BC has this advice if you encounter a cougar. Stay calm. Don't turn your back and don't run. Instead, maintain eye contact. Try to make yourself look larger, bigger. You can yell, you can be assertive, and back away from the area. Back in Roberts Creek, conservation officers are calling the cougar's behavior unnatural and unsafe. They're continuing to search for the predatory cougar, believed to be an adult. We deployed some techniques to try to identify, you know, the cat and the, the age. And we use trail cameras in the area, you know, predator calling techniques. Hikers and bikers are being urged to avoid the area for now. And two trails remain closed. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A warning tonight for anyone using social media after a Surrey business had its Instagram account hacked and held for ransom. 
When the business owner couldn't get any help from the social media giant, they turned to Andrua and Consumer Matters. And Anne is here with more. Anne. Thanks, Chris. One of the owners was actually on her honeymoon when she got a message from her business partner telling her he couldn't log on to the company's Instagram account. What soon followed not only frightened her, but also left her feeling helpless. He just said, if you don't pay me, I'm going to delete your account and you're never going to get it back. That was the moment when Raman Dollywall discovered her Instagram business account had been hacked and held for ransom. I've never had someone just message me and threaten me like that. Like, hey, I'm holding your account. Here's your password. Like, I want this from you. And that just really scared me. The shocking incident unfolding soon after Raman's company, WR Mattress Gallery in South Surrey, posted this video of a cabinet bed. A post which went viral. It went from 10,000 to 20,000 to 50,000 to 70,000, and the messages were just coming in. And then they stopped, Raman discovering she couldn't log into the company's Instagram account, eventually receiving this message on her WhatsApp. I'm the hacker that hacked your account. I'm a student and I'm a nice person. I just need you to pay me $1,000 in US. That's when she reached out to Adwin Liu, who does the digital advertising for Raman's company. He says he reached out to Meta, the parent company of Instagram, for help, but says for close to two months, he wasn't getting much of a response. We'd talk to support. Support would give us, hey, we'd get back to you in 48 hours, and they just never do. Consumer Matters reached out to Meta on the company's behalf, and within 24 hours, the WR Mattress Instagram account was back up and running. This has been two months, and... Boom, you got it done. I just, I'm so grateful for you. <laughs> Meta telling Consumer Matters, as always, we encourage people to keep an eye out for scammers and watch out for any odd requests to collect personal information. But some technology experts say Meta needs to do more to protect users. Meta is such a big company. They should have these kind of checks and balances in place of, of managing when people's accounts get compromised. But they don't really seem to want to help, even if people are paying for ads on the Meta platform. Your best defense, avoid any suspicious links and set up security measures already in place like two-factor authentication. It's a little bit of a hindrance for people because you're gonna have to do one extra step, maybe verify that who you are on your, on your smartphone, but that's gonna ensure that you don't get this problem. Raman says she now has two-factor authentication in place, her company's posts back up and running and gaining traction. And we also asked Meta why it didn't restore the account when Raman and her team reached out repeatedly for help and why Meta didn't take action until Consumer Matters got involved, but we never heard back. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, good work there, Anne. Coming up, the road to recovery. He and we tried everything. A Vancouver family known for its philanthropy makes a major donation to fight substance abuse, the personal tragedy that motivated them. Coming up. Good evening. Traffic is nice and steady here both ways at the Alex Fraser Bridge for now, but keep in mind there will be some backups for southbound traffic later on for overnight bridge maintenance between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. 
A former teacher at St. Thomas Aquinas Secondary School in North Vancouver has been charged with sexual assault and sexual exploitation. Anthony Vesco was arrested recently in Ontario and released on bail. Police say Vesco was alleged to have sexually assaulted a student while he was teaching at the school from 2017 to 2019. Investigators believe there may be more victims. North Vancouver RCMP is encouraging anyone who has information to please come forward. BC's unionized port workers have voted overwhelmingly in favor of striking. 99.24% of the members of the Longshore and Warehouse Union voted to strike. The union represents more than 7,000 port workers in Metro Vancouver and Prince Rupert, who handle roughly 16% of Canada's internationally traded goods. The union and the BC Maritime Employers Association are currently in a cooling off period until next weekend, and that makes the 24th the earliest possible strike date. Business leaders have been warning a port strike would have major negative impacts on the economy and the post-pandemic supply chain recovery. One of BC's most philanthropic families wants to improve addictions recovery in this province and is willing to put part of its fortune towards the cause. As Grace Key reports, the Diamond family is donating millions, hoping others won't have to experience the anguish they did losing a loved one to addiction. Today, I'm here to officially announce the Diamond Foundation's $20 million donation in my brother's honour to St. Paul's Foundation. Stephen Diamond struggled with substance abuse. He was an addictions counsellor, had expertise in the field and family means to pay for recovery. Despite all of that, he couldn't get well. We encountered a messy system at every turn. Delays, disappointments, wait lists. After years of struggle, Stephen was finally put on a wait list for an addiction psychiatrist. But sadly... He never made that appointment. While facing an agonizing wait, he was killed by fentanyl. The money will fund a first-in-Canada model of treatment called Road to Recovery. The program is expected to cut weeks off wait lists. During that time, relapse is common and the cycle continues. The new program offers patients seamless support through prevention, treatment and recovery all in one location. Our addiction treatment system is failing the very people it was designed to help. The Road to Recovery initiative, however, is a huge step forward to change that. Through this work, we can start to close the gaps that exist between harm reduction, treatment and recovery. St. Paul's Hospital will house 45 beds in its current location behind me here, and then they'll be moved to the new location in 2027. There'll also be 50 recovery beds. Now, those will be operated by Providence Healthcare. They're going to be located in the community in close proximity. The program is expected to care for an additional 2,000 patients a year. The $20 million donation will go towards capital, research and project support. The province has committed $60.9 million toward operating costs. But another $14 million is needed over the next couple of years. Well, ours was not a success story. We want to help rewrite history for others. The first beds will be open this fall. Grace Key, Global News. One final spin for Pat Sajak. The big announcement from the Wheel of Fortune host coming up next. Plus, the remarkable contributions of First Nations leaders, including one from B.C., honored in a new special series of stamps. All your local news. All your breaking news.
All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. Bombshell news and entertainment with Pat Sajak saying the upcoming season of Wheel of Fortune will be his last. Sajak has been the host of the beloved game show since 1981. In a tweet, the 76-year-old told followers, quote, it's been a wonderful ride and I'll have more to say in the coming months. The 41st season of Wheel of Fortune begins in September. Always with Vanna by his side. All right, uh, always by my side, in weather at least, is Christy. And a look ahead to the forecast with more sunshine, at least for the short term, and hopefully some rain in the forecast, Christy. Yeah, so a transition tomorrow to rain in many areas. Environment Canada issuing the special weather statement, as we talked about earlier, including the southern BC Peace River area. So all these areas highlighted in green have the potential for anywhere from 15 to 25 millimeters of rain with gusts up to about 70 kilometers an hour. Now, I want to mention the south coast, though, we only have a very slight chance of showers. Really, the bulk of that rainfall will be in the interior. More on that in a second. But we also have a wind warning in place for the outer coast of Vancouver Island. Gusts potentially up to 80 kilometers an hour. So there's a potential for some power outages there for sure. Here's a look at what we're expecting. So this type of a scenario would be a bad case uh, if we didn't have rainfall with it. Dry lightning this time of year is terrible news. But it does come, this one anyways, come with rainfall for majority of the province. So you can see that through the Caribou Central Interior regions, the far southern parts of BC Peace River area. This is tomorrow morning. Very little across the south coast as you can see. But as we head through the afternoon hours, we start to see more more rainfall, especially further south in the Columbia and the Kootenai region, but it comes with pockets of a thunderstorm. So we do have a risk of thunderstorms in most parts of the province tomorrow. All of these areas you see highlighted, including the south coast, the Fraser Valley area. And then by Wednesday, it shifts off in that southeastern corner, and then most areas towards the west are back to sunshine. Quick look at how much the potential for rain is. You can see very minimal amounts for coastal regions, but far greater further inland that you go. So that's certainly some good good news there. Uh, again, we're going to see those strong gusty winds more likely towards the latter part of the day tomorrow. So afternoon and evening hours. For those of you in the interior, that means gusts up to about 70 kilometers an hour. Uh, south coast area, we're talking about gusts up to about 60 kilometers an hour. Uh, we are expecting uh, more sunshine on Wednesday. So it's just a little unsettled weather for our Tuesday. More sunshine on Wednesday, but towards the end of the week, we have more rainfall in store for us. So some more good news and we'll refine that as we get closer. Beautiful shot of the Alpine. This is from the Wells Gray Park. These are uh, some lilies, wild lilies. So thank you so much to Tammy Redmond for that one. Back to you, Wow, Chris. beautiful shot of the Alpine. All right, uh, Squire mm -hmm. joins us now. What a weekend I for know. Canadian golf. I know. It was like a script writer mm -hmm. put this thing together. I mean, Nick Taylor of Abbotsford, his putt of destiny yesterday took just over seven seconds to cover 72 feet and win the Canadian Open. It's so easy to leave that putt 10 feet short from how far I was. Um, and to get it there was obviously a bit of a surprise, honestly. Now this is him watching the putt. He just wanted to get it close. Then he channels Jose Bautista with the club toss. And then one of the craziest 18th green celebrations ever ensues. So much going on just after that shot. Also tonight, the remarkable life of George Manuel, now immortalized on a Canadian stamp.
I don't know about me, but I wouldn't leave my money clip around here. <laughs> It's like there's, there's some undesirables, perhaps, there, wandering the halls. You never well, I, don't know. Like I don't like having things in my Actually, pockets. Actually, you know what? The people here are very trustworthy. You can throw money around. Nobody will pick it up. Oh, that's Nobody true. will pick it up. What a time for I know, golf. I know. That was incredible. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been a lot of wow moments in Canadian sports history. And now, Nick Taylor's 72-foot putt to win the Canadian Open is on the list with Paul Henderson's goal with Sidney Crosby's goal in 2010, Julia Grosso, the gold medal winning penalty kick a couple of years ago at the Olympics, Kawhi Leonard's shot that bounced around against the 76ers and finally went in, Joe Carter's World Series home run for the Blue Jays. Those are just some. There are others. But the putt of destiny is now one of those moments. And yesterday, it wasn't just a win for Canada. It was a win for BC golf because this is the province where Nick Taylor learned to play the game. Left the flag stick in with the maple leaf flag. Good pace. Are you serious? Oh my goodness! Glorious and free! It's a moment that ranks right up there in Canadian sports history, and the roars generated by Nick Taylor's Canadian Open winning putt echoed loudly from coast to coast. None louder, though, than here in BC, where Taylor grew up chasing his PGA Tour dream. It, it was the most incredible atmosphere I've ever been a part of, and it's it's not even close. I think it's a tournament that we've circled on our calendar for since, you know, probably junior golf, but um, ever since been on PGA Tour, this is one that we want to do as well as we can in. And Nick's on-course competitive juices first started flowing as a teenager playing on the Maple Leaf Junior Golf Tour. That's him in the white hat, second from the left. It proved to be solid training ground as Nick won the Canadian Junior and Canadian Amateur Championships earlier in his career. The MGT also gifting Taylor a financial bursary when he was just starting out as a pro. When you're playing junior golf, man, you've got to do two things. You've got to get some good instruction and you've got to play competition. And we provide the competition. Nick, uh, he was, damn, he was like 24, almost 25 years old and he was starting out and uh, we had a you know, a kind of a, a bursary for young pros and Nick was fit that, you know, fit that mold perfectly. And, uh, and uh, here it is, uh, you know, 11, 11 years later. And we witnessed that yesterday. It was pretty cool. Well, this is uh, Nick Taylor's bib when he came and played on the Vancouver Golf Tour schedule for uh, three years. And in uh, 2011 to 13, he played the Vancouver Open Championship and uh, never won the tournament. Uh, he came runner up twice, lost in a playoff once. But he was a 10-time winner on the on the VGT, and we're very very proud of that. The photo behind you of him holding the RBC Canadian Open trophy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's so special. Again, it uh, you know it hits home because I you know I saw him grow you know up through the VGT as a young pro. You know, I never disbelieved in his ability. Um, but it just shows you how tough it is to get there. And, you know, it took him, you know, four or five years to, to get his PGA Tour card. And then, um, you know, bam, four events into the PGA Tour, and he wins his first PGA Tour event. And, um, you know, he's gone through some changes to his, to his golf swing, to his putting grip. And, you know, he's battled um, for a few years to keep his card. You know, and coming from a very modest upbringing, I don't think anyone's really given to Nick Taylor. He, he earned every bit of it, and he certainly earned this trophy. Now, this is approximately how often a PGA player sinks putts from various distances. Two feet, no problem. 
Then it begins to drop to only 40% from 10 feet, and percentages keep dropping more than the putts do the further and further away a pro is from the hole. Nick Taylor's 72-footer yesterday is made just over 1% of the time by a PGA player. That's how rare that putt was. Adam Hadwin, Nick Taylor's longtime friend from Ledgeview Golf Course in Abbotsford. Yes, he's the guy being tackled right beside me. Didn't want to steal his buddy's thunder yesterday. He just wanted to spray champagne on him for winning. That's all. Instead, Hadwin's moment on the 18th green has become almost as big as Nick Taylor's putt, thanks to a security guard who thought Hadwin was just a crazy fan with a giant bottle of booze. Now let's start this by watching Adam Hadwin watching that winning putt. Okay, this is where the security guard, who should get a call from the CFL team because this was a textbook tackle, but credit Hadwin for holding onto the champagne bottle and taking this shot like a champ. In, in the chaos of the celebration, did you notice what happened to your old pal Hadwin? Corner of my eye, I saw he got, he got a nice tackle there. I hope he's all right. I saw he was upright when I saw him later, so I hope... Hope he doesn't wake up tomorrow morning with any broken ribs or anything. He, he was saying he was hoping he sprayed you with some champagne. Did he get any on you? My hat stinks, so yeah, I think he did. <laughs> uh, Hadwin talked to Jay Janauer, said he's okay. No, that's good. Uh, Cranbrook's Ryan Huska has finally become an NHL coach. He was named the new boss of the Calgary Flames after being an assistant there for five years. Now from 2007 to 2014, he coached the Kelowna Rockets, won the uh, WHL title in 2009, also played for the Kamloops Blazers. Talk about your BC boys. He played four years for the Blazers and won three Memorial Cups there, 92, 94, and 1995. Congratulations to him. There you go. For sure. All right, thanks very much, Squire. And still to come, BC's George Manuel, immortalized on a Canada Post stamp. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan. Chris, first we brought you the problem. Tonight, a solution to mitigate the SkyTrain screech. Last month, we showed you how the aging Expo line is getting noisier, especially through Burnaby and New Westminster. Now we're hearing that all SkyTrain cars will be modified with a device to reduce the screeching and grinding. We'll tell you what that device is, how it works, plus what else TransLink is doing to ensure a smoother ride for SkyTrain commuters. All tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jordan. So, Canada Post is recognizing the remarkable contributions of First Nations leaders, one of them from right here in B.C. Aaron MacArthur has the story of George Manuel and how the one-time president of the B.C. Union of Indian Chiefs took on Ottawa and won. It is the song at the heart of a movement. It has come to symbolize the fight for Indigenous rights. A fight that took shape in the 70s and 80s. And at the head of that fight, George Manuel. Manuel, one of three people recognized with a stamp ahead of Indigenous Peoples Day. Canada Post recognizing the accomplishments of not just these three individuals, but their communities and the hard work they have done to fight for equality. Watching the video was really emotional for me. He was such an important part of our lives 
Manuel was born in 1921 in Nisconleth territory. He was drawn to politics after witnessing the despair and poverty for so many of his people. He served as chief of the Nisconleth. He was president of the National Indian Brotherhood, which came to be known as the Assembly of First Nations. He was president of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs. He stood in opposition to the Trudeau government on its proposed white paper in 1969, which would have done away with the Indian. What our people, I think, have been consistently saying is that... And in the 1980s, when Canada was discussing the Constitution, Manuel inserted an indigenous perspective into the dialogue, helping to enshrine land and title rights. Now the record has been straight, straightened out. Those that knew him say much of what indigenous people are fighting for today wouldn't have been possible without George Manuel. He was such a dynamic speaker. He was such an inspirational leader. And those kinds of leaders throughout world history get things done. Not have the government and one man. Manuel was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize on more than one occasion. He received the Order of Canada. His family say being honored with this stamp is a reminder to all Canadians of the critical role he played. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Good looking stamp. All right, let's take uh, one last look at the forecast for our region here, Christy, before we sign off. So it should be mostly dry for our area, but uh, I think there's a slight risk of an isolated thunderstorm, especially through the Fraser Valley tomorrow afternoon, but overall dry with uh, cooler conditions, certainly a high of only 20 degrees. Back to you. All right, and I'm going to say it because he only has seven seconds to respond and he won't, but happy birthday, Squire. I know, don't be mad happy at me. Happy birthday. Squire who? Do I see? Is there I another guy it. named that? Ha, ha, ha.